Welcome to this special edition of Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for the Texas Veterinary Medical Association. Today, we're going to get right into this episode given the urgency of the topic, COVID-19 and its impact on veterinary practices. There's a lot of information out there about sanitation and social distancing to prevent the spread of the virus, but not as much about how to operate veterinary clinics during this time. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Felstead, and she's going to outline the common issues veterinary clinics are facing and how veterinary professionals can address them. Here she is. So I'm a veterinarian as well as a CPA. I practiced um, companion animal and emergency medicine for a number of years, but because of my business background, I um, ended up working in the in the consulting side of the industry. So I work with a large number of veterinary practices, uh, both general practices and specialty practices, to talk about um, financially how well they're doing and the kinds of changes that they can make in their practice. I do a lot of speaking and writing. I've been involved in a number of the major studies that have been done in the profession, like the Bayer Veterinary Care Usage Study. So been around for a long time, but my focus has definitely been the, um, the consulting side of the field. Got it. Okay, so we're going to discuss the issues facing veterinary clinics right now in the midst of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic um, and how veterinary professionals can address them. So let's begin with uh, taking care of your veterinary team and, and staff. I think that's a great place to start. I think this is a really tough time. And so much of it is because of the uncertainty. And it's also because the situation is changing day to day. I mean, last week we could go to Canada this week, borders are closed to non-essential traffic. Um, you know, in my own community, um, the, you know, restaurants are now closed. My, uh, the city I live in is actually, it spans two different counties. There's confusion because some of those restaurants are in one county, some are in another you know, different um, locales have, are, 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 you know, have different mandates for how things are going to operate. Um, it, and it, it seems to be, you know, everything seems to be getting more and more restrictive every day. It's just a really challenging environment. And I think there's confusion within the veterinary space about, okay, what's going to be our role? Can we stay open? Are we considered essential businesses? you know, my understanding is generally we are considered essential businesses, but that doesn't get rid of the fact that um, the virus is still out there and we need to, um, we need to be doing everything that we can to keep our, our team safe as well as our, our clients. I think right now having a good leader in the practice or being a good leader in your practice is going to be really critical because um, you know, as a practice owner, particularly if you have a larger practice or you've been around for a while or you have a good emergency fund, um, you know, you may not feel a long-term threat to this. It's it's problematic in the short run, but you feel okay financially. But, you know, if you're a um, minimum wage hour employee, or even if you're better than minimum wage, but, um, you know, there's a, but you still are not a high earner, I guess. Um, so, you know, an employee in a veterinary practice, this is a really scary time. Um, one of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of, um, a number of veterinarians were talking, I mean, is, this isn't just limited to lower earners, but there are veterinarians there who are scared to death that if business goes down, they're going to be let go. They're the primary breadwinner for their, their families. So a very hard time. And the more that we can do to 
focus on the physical health, the emotional health of our employees, be honest with them, tell them everything that we're doing to protect them physically, but also everything that we're trying to do to keep the business up and running um, so that the jobs are preserved. And I think, you know, we've got two things here. We've got the the virus right now, we've got the current state of affairs, this ever-changing state of affairs, but we've also, and, and you, I mean, obviously there's, there's going to be financial downturn in many different kinds of businesses because of this. I don't think we totally know the magnitude of that yet, but I mean, there can't not be, you, you know, if you're a restaurant and you've closed, um, except for takeout and delivery, you're clearly not going to make as much as, as you did before. I don't think we have as, strong of a feeling for the impact in, in veterinary medicine right now. I've, I've had plenty of practices tell me they're as busy as they've ever been, but I've had an equal number of practices tell me that they're seeing, a, you know, they've seen a slowdown over the last few days or the last week. Now, whether that's because of the virus or sometimes there just are slowdowns, I don't think we totally know yet. But the bigger picture piece as well is what's going to be the longer term impact of the virus and is this going to push us into a recession? I mean, if you looked at economic indicators six weeks ago, people were saying strongest economy in a very long time. Um, now, the likelihood of a recession is certainly higher than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so part of what um, taking care of staff in terms of physical health is, you know, everyone making sure they're washing their hands, not touching their face, um, disinfecting all the surfaces. Anything else you want to touch on? Because I know you also want to talk about emotional health. I think that's something so important. You know, there's so much anxiety happening. There's so much uncertainty. I agree. So I think on the physical health, it's all of the things that you said. And then the other piece is reducing contact. Um, and, and, you know, some of that is paying attention to your employees' physical health, um, emphasizing to them how critical it is that if they feel that they're um, that they're sick, that they need to stay home. They need to, to come in and not breathe on everybody else in the, in the practice. But it's also reducing the contact between pet owners, between our clients and, and the people who work in the practice. And there's a bunch of different ways that practices are already implementing to do that. We can talk about that as we get a little bit farther along. I think the emotional health is, I think the uncertainty and particularly the financial uncertainty is, is the worst part. And so practice owners who can be open and honest with employees about this is what we're seeing, this is what we think are, is, is happening and may happen in the future, and even more importantly, here's everything that we're doing to keep people working and to, to keep our practice open and to keep jobs. Because, I mean, I think that's really what it boils down to. For, for most employees is, am I going to have a job? And there are, you know, many people out there who are living paycheck to paycheck and not having a job. And, you know, where are you going to go and get a job if you, if you're, if you lose your practice job, because there's not exactly um, a thousand other, you know, a month ago, I would have said as a veterinary employee, you could get a job anywhere, right? Um, not so much now. I think the other thing is for practice owners and managers, the leadership team, to be aware of resources that are available out there for employees. So like here in Texas, um, unemployment uh, benefits are available um, if you lose your job because of the virus or if you have significantly reduced hours. Um, the United Way, I just read today, has a fund that you know helps people who 
who are struggling because of these kinds of issues. And I don't think we have a ton of details on all of these resources. And obviously there's always, um, you know, rules and restrictions around them, but I think it's important for the leadership team to have some understanding of what's available out there and try and convey that to people. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about uh, communicating with clients, um, like what veterinarians should say to clients and the forms of communication they can use. Yeah. And I think, I think um, just as important as communicating with, with um, our employees, it's communicating with pet owners. In my mind, the, the first thing we need to say, and the most important thing we need to say is your there is no evidence to suggest that your pet is going to get sick or that your pet is going to transfer this disease to you or to other people in your household or to just other people in general. Um, I think we seem to understand that a little bit better here than in some countries. There's been certainly reports from some countries about um, widespread pet abandonment. I mean, just really sad stories. I'm hopeful that um, there's less of that, that, concern here in the U.S., but I think we need to keep reiterating that. And then the other piece we need to communicate with clients is, um, yes, we're still open for business. Here's what we're doing to protect you. Because in the same way we want to protect our own employees from, from getting the virus, we also want to protect our, our clients. So what that is really coming down to is reducing people contact. And and there's a bunch of different ways that we can do that. I'll come back to that in a minute. You know, as far as forms of communication, I think it's the usual way that we communicate with people. So if you're communicating via email and text and, and notices on your Facebook page, those are the same things you want to continue. Um, you know, in my mind, and this really has nothing to do with the virus, but what, what practices need to be doing is communicating with people the way that they want to be communicated with. And really that means that there are going to be some people that want text, some people want email. Um, you know, some people are still looking at the postcards they get in the mail talking about their, the need for vaccination. So one form of communication isn't usually enough. It's got to be multiple forms of communication with the same information. So we're posting it on the website, we're texting it, we're emailing it, we're posting it on Facebook. But what pet owners need to know is, yes, we're here for business. Here's the hours that we're open. And, and here's what we're doing to protect you. And so that then leads into the operational changes that practices can make to reduce people contact. And um, obviously the increased cleaning and sanitation that you mentioned, that's going to be, that's, that's a given. And so um, you're seeing practices who are, who are sanitizing um, exam rooms and surfaces after every client comes to visit. They're cleaning door handles more frequently than, than usual. That's all a part of it. But then it's also, how do we handle our appointment workflow? And so I've seen some practices that have gone entirely to drop-offs, um, some practices that are not letting clients into the, the hospital environment at all. So they pull into the parking lot, they call, somebody comes out, gets the information um, from the pet owner, takes the pet into the building, they examine it, they do whatever. Um, they call the pet owner, talk to them, um, about what they found, 
process payments over the phone, the, the whole thing. I've seen some practices that are doing a little bit of a hybrid there. So people are asked to stay in the parking lot until the practice is ready to actually move them directly into an exam room. That's an option as well. From the practices that I've been talking to, you're seeing a wide range here. You've seen pre some practices that have made very few changes yet to others that are completely restricting um, um, clients from coming into the building at all. A few practices are are reducing the kinds of services that they offer. That, from what I've heard and understand that, you know, this is all changing on a daily basis. Um, it seems like most practices are continuing to offer full services, um, but there are a few that are saying we're just going to see emergency cases. My understanding is the vet school at Wisconsin has shut down entirely. Um, so there's a broad range of how people are responding, and I think that's going to continue to to change rapidly. Um, the more you can limit interaction between the pet owner and people in the practice, the better. So, you know, in a typical practice, a pet owner might come into contact with four people. So they see a receptionist, they see a veterinary assistant, they see a technician, they see a doctor, they come back out to the reception area, could even be five people because they might see a different receptionist than they saw. If you can reduce interaction down to a doctor and maybe one team member, and so maybe instead of um, dealing with the receptionist in the up front in the, ex uh, in the reception area, you're doing check-in and check-out on the phone or in the in the exam room. Telemedicine obviously makes a ton of sense at this time. Telemedicine's a controversial topic. Not every practice is interested in telemedicine or they have concerns about how they would integrate it in their practice. If you already offer telemedicine, it's a good time to remind clients of that. I think it's a good time for practices to start really sorting out how they feel about telemedicine. What I think is a bit challenging on telemedicine is it, it, it seems like in many people's minds, it's all or nothing. So if I'm going to go with telemedicine, that means I'm comfortable with establishing a VCPR um, electronically. I'm going to see every kind of case via telemedicine. I don't think it has to be that way. I think each practice has to decide for themselves what kinds of telemedicine or telehealth they're comfortable with. And, and of course, establishing the VCPR, we've still got a bunch of legal issues related to that. So that's maybe not as good of an example. But let's say that you're willing to offer telemedicine to clients with an established relationship. You may say, I'm not going to see, I'm not going to deal with patients having seizures via telemedicine. But if this is an ongoing dermatology case, yeah, we might start with telemedicine on that. So it's not an all or nothing thing, but certainly to the extent that um, practices are comfortable with it, it's a good time to remind clients of it. House calls, um, I've had a number of practices that I work with that offer house calls to say that they had an uptick in requests for those kinds of appointments. So obviously you're still gonna have some exposure between a doctor or maybe a technician and the, the client, but you probably reduce exposure there. You're still going to have to think about um, social distancing when you're visiting a client in a house, but that can be one way of reducing contact. Delivery of food and medications so that um, people aren't coming in to, to pick the stuff up, but you're delivering it. Um, obviously, if you work with an online pharmacy, an outside online pharmacy, and you have your own 
internet pharmacy, so to speak. Um, that's kind of a natural evolution there. Even if you don't do that, you may just say, hey, business is a little bit slower here in the practice. We're going to take one of our people and designate them as a delivery person. And that can preserve jobs. It can also reduce this, this contact. Um, pet pickup and delivery. So somebody goes to the house, picks up the pet, brings it back to the practice. Um, there's a couple of practices that are talking about that, that I, or ones that I've spoken with. Um, you've got to think through the insurance issue and obviously pick a responsible driver, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's, I think there's a lot of things that practices can do to ensure they're still open for business. They have the ability to see cases, but are reducing people contact. And that's especially important for seniors and other high-risk clients. And so I know that um, there's spacing out appointments or providing special hours. And I think that, that it's, yes, and it's interesting because you're, you're seeing that in some other businesses. Um, I think Dollar General here in my area, one of the dollar uh, stores is doing that. There's been some talk about doing that at grocery stores. Um, some of the focus seems to be on on seniors because we know that as age increases, um, the risk of, of getting the coronavirus and the risk of it being being serious increases. But I think one of the things that we need to think about is I think there are a, a large number of people wandering around that we encounter in our day-to-day -day life that have some kind of underlying disease that doesn't necessarily impact how they, um, you know, how they live their lives, but they, um, but they're also going to have the concerns that some of the, the seniors have as well. So I was talking to my financial advisor um, a week or so ago, and he told me he was working at home. This is a 40-year-old guy, never would have thought that he was anything but perfectly healthy. He's a type 1 diabetic. I wouldn't have known, but he's a little bit more concerned. And I, I, so I think when we're talking about these kinds of hours, we don't want to assume it's just seniors. So these hours may be for anybody that has a concern about, about you know, extended people-to-people -people contact, seniors and others as as well. The woman that cuts my hair um, set aside, she added a day that she normally doesn't work and she was spacing clients out like just one every two hours. So nobody comes into contact with each other. She has time to thoroughly clean um, in between appointments. So not as efficient for her certainly, but it's helping take care of clients that would be otherwise uncomfortable coming in. Mm -hmm. And what about limiting and controlling expenses at this time? What advice do you have for veterinarians? I think this is one where um, today practices may look at their revenue, may look at their bank accounts, not seeing a major change quite yet. But this is one where I think we start to be a little bit concerned about the future. This certainly ties in with the whole idea of, is there gonna be a recession and how do we prepare or deal with it? It is, you know, we won't know if there's a recession for six or eight months because the definition of a recession is two quarters with, with negative growth, right? So until we've gotten through six months, we can't even, plus the time it takes to calculate that. I mean, we won't know until the fall whether we're technically in a recession, certainly, practices and people will know if they're having a, a personal recession for lack of a, a better term um, because I mean they're going to see their own cash flow and know how that's changing. So in this kind of a challenging economic 
time, conserving cash is always a good thing. And, and I think that needs to be a focus. So we start to talk about postponing major purchases. Um, we talk about, if we're talking about expenses within a practice, I think looking at inventory control is, a, is an important one. There, many, many practices have more inventory on their shelves than they need. So they've got three months worth of stuff on their shelves. If you had a month, you would do fine. At this point, with the exception of a few items, we're not really talking about shortages. I know we're talking about shortages on masks, maybe gloves and gowns, and so that becomes a, a, a different issue. But on medications, at least right now, beyond the typical shortages that practices have been having that are unrelated to the, to the coronavirus, um, that hasn't been an issue. So looking at inventory control can be a way of, of conserving some cash. If you have doctors and staff that want to take time off voluntarily, certainly it's a great time to encourage that. Not everybody can afford to do it. Not everybody wants to. You know, I'm, you know, to me, one of the most important things in a practice right now is, is preserving jobs. And that, that could get hard at some point. Um, but I think that's a priority for most practice owners out there. And you know, preserving, I don't know what preserving jobs is going to look like, because we don't know how bad this is going to get. It may mean that, yeah, you'll still have a job, but it's going to be reduced hours. So it's not an all or nothing thing. But obviously, if people want to take time off, that's, I mean, this is great, that'd be good. You know, at some point, our practice is cash flow going to become such a challenge that delaying payments, whether that's vendor payments or loan payments, is going to be something that has to be considered. I don't think we totally know yet on that. And that's certainly something that's going to have to be discussed and negotiated with your lending institution or, or, or your vendors. Um, I don't think that's the first thing I would jump to. I would focus on, um, on trying to cut as many expenses in the practice as you can without harming, say, employees or your, the client service that you offer. I think CE at this point is, um, I don't think we're going to very many meetings in the next, um, certainly in the next month or two, right? So yeah. there's a little bit of, um, you know, travel and CE expense that'll be uh, at least postponed, if not cut, cut for good. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that we probably won't know if there's a recession for six to eight months based on uh, what we define a recession. Um, so hypothetically, if there is a recession, right. um, how can people prepare for it on a personal and professional level? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. And, um, and like I said, you know, even if, even if we don't, you know, technically know that there's a recession out there, um, if your practice or if you personally have a decline in cash flow, it's a recession, right? Um, it's a personal recession, if you will. Um, so, you know, there are things that people and practices can do early on that are always good. We may be somewhat more limited in that now because, I mean, this caught everybody unawares. I don't think anybody thought that this was going to happen. And most of the economists out there, and I mean, good quality economists, do you know, who know what they're talking about, didn't really see a recession coming, um, I don't know, till maybe next year, something like that. I mean, people were talking about what a great economy this was 
in the, you know, in January of, of, of this year, this happens so fast and so unexpectedly, but to the extent that you've still got money coming in, whether that's personally or whether that's as a practice, certainly, um, establishing or increasing whatever emergency fund you have is going to be important. And that just means dumping money into savings, um, reducing expenses, deciding, you know, what is an absolute necessity versus what is um, something that you'd like to have. And that's true both at the personal level and at the, at the practice level. So you may not need a new piece of equipment now. Um, You know, at a personal level, you reduce, you know, Starbucks or, to some extent, we may be forced to reduce eating out unless it's takeout or delivery, as is happening in many areas. Um, but certainly cutting expenses. Reducing debt is always one of those recommendations that's made to, um, to be prepared for a recession. It may be, that may be hard to do at this point, because if, if um, you know, if the downturn is here, whether it's technically a recession or not, um, and, and now you're, you're faced with, okay, I may have less money coming in, whether that's me as an individual or it's a practice, um, you know, do I put money in an emergency fund or do I reduce my debt? Um, and it, to some extent could be six of one half dozen of another. I think I would probably put money in a cash fund in an emergency fund at this point, obviously you're going to have to keep making those debt payments. Um, at some point, will there be room to negotiate or some kind of assistance available? I don't even know at this point. Um, if you can establish a line of credit, and again, that may be harder to do now. It's usually easier to establish a line of credit when um, times are good than when they're not. I mean, you would like to have some availability of money if you need to borrow, um, I think now we end up looking at if, if establishing a line of credit is going to be difficult, then then certainly credit cards are an option. They're not a great option because the interest rate is so high. Um, but in an emergency, they're there for many people. I mean, I do think that we're going to we're going to see like that United Way um thing that I mentioned earlier. I mean, I do think that there's going to be some availability of resources just because the potential is there for, for people to be really hard, really hard hit. Um, Certainly focusing on streamlining practice operations. This is kind of a part of the cutting expenses concept. Um, So increasing efficiency, Um, continuing to offer great pet care, um, and not just the the medical portion of the pet care, because I think clients to a large extent assume that you offer good quality medicine, but offering great communication, great client service, help clients understand you're busting your butt to make sure that they still have a good experience and that you're busting your butt to make sure they have a safe experience at your practice. All of those things are going to keep clients coming in the door. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask you about some quality resources, but I'm interested in your personal experience throughout this. Um, How has it affected your life? So that's a really interesting question. I was actually talking to somebody, um, a colleague of mine, just a little bit ago before you and I talked. So I work out of my house, um, although I travel a fair amount for what I do. So I'm already socially distanced a good part of the day unless I'm traveling, right? So in that regard, um, 
you know, nobody had to tell me to work from home because I do work from home, right? So in that regard, my challenges are less than people who work out with constant um, public contact. Um, I do travel a lot for what I do. And so I had four trips in the next six weeks or so. All four of those obviously had been canceled. Um, two of them were to speak at conferences. Those conferences have been postponed rather than directly canceled. So for me, financially, um, you know, assuming that they don't get ultimately canceled, um, it, I'd still have that income coming in, but it's, it's, it's postponed, right? Um, a couple of the meetings were for volunteer activities um, for, for um, a couple of organizations within veterinary medicine. Um, those meetings are going to be handled electronically. And, you know, and then I've got the usual, we can't go to restaurants, we can't go to bars, the library's closed. I'm a big library visitor. So, um, um, you know, the grocery store is a challenge because you can't find the stuff that you want. But I mean, honestly, compared to what some people are going to have to go through, those are, those are first world problems for me personally. Um, I think the people we really have to worry about are the ones that have jobs that entail a lot of public contact that um, in businesses that may end up closing for some period of time, the ones who have children at home, um, that they are children who would be attending school, but now they're at home. And what do you do about childcare and people who don't have an emergency fund who have lower income jobs? Those are the people that, that I think all of us are going to have to worry about and see how we can do something to help. Mm -hmm. And any personal experiences you've heard from your friends or veterinary colleagues? The, a certain amount is is what I talked about, about the various ways that practices are changing to reduce um, contact between practice employees and, and pet owners. Um, the, the other things that I've heard are, I mean, there are a, across the board, and this isn't just a technician or a veterinary assistant or a, um, you know, um, lower income concern, but from veterinarians as well about, am I still going to have my job? Um, and, and, you know, I'm a sole breadwinner or I have a brand new practice and I have debt payments. So there's definitely significant fear out there about, about the financial aspect of it. Um, you know, I think that I guess, and I don't know this for true and it varies so much individually. You know, I, I think there's as much financial fear as there is fear of actually getting the virus, you know, realistically, for the vast majority of people, the risk of being seriously ill from the virus is pretty small. Um, you know, they're saying that, the, you know, you know, if you're young, if you're healthy, um, you may get it and not even know that you have it, or it may be no worse than a cold or the flu. The risk certainly goes up for immunocompromised people, for older people, underlying disease. But I think that financial risk is is probably a greater risk for many people, and that's 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 what I'm hearing. Mm. That's so interesting. It almost makes me think we could rename the pandemic. A bit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just the the financial. I think the the societal impact. Um, I could not have ever imagined. You know, when you first started hearing reports out of China that in such a quick period of time, we would have made so many societal changes. Mm -hmm. I personally think they're the right changes. Um, 
you know, and, and I think what's difficult about this is if we, if we, if we under, underperform on our response to the virus, we will certainly know. If we overperform on our response to the virus, we're never really going to know. I mean, we put all of these measures into place and we, um, we flatten the curve, so to speak, and we reduce the number of people, if not not only the number of people that get it, but the ones that are seriously ill, and we manage to keep our healthcare system from being overwhelmed, you know, we'll never know if we did too much, right? Mm -hmm. But I think I, my personal opinion is it'd be better to do too much than not. Um, it's it's, it's a, just a very challenging time right now. It really is. Yeah. Um, and so I'd like to end it with some resources that we can share with veterinary practices. Absolutely. So I think, um, you know, I think one of the important things out there, and of course, you know, veterinarians are scientists, and um, um, I think it's important that not just veterinarians, but all team members, everybody that works in a veterinary practice, everybody actually in general, that we understand the importance of looking at good quality resources and dealing with facts and not you know, random things that people share on, on the internet, right? And of course, veterinary teams deal with this all the time with people who come in and say that, you know, tomato juice is going to cure parvo or something. And you're seeing some of that same kind of stuff with the, with the coronavirus. So good quality resources is a must. Obviously, um, the TVMA has resources. AVMA has resources. Um, if you're talking about information specifically about the virus, um, the CDC, the WHO, I mean, those are both going to be some of the most reputable resources out there. Um, the WHO, in addition to having a, a ton of general information about the virus and its impact worldwide, also has a specific statement in there about pets and the, that there's no evidence out there that pets will become sick from this or they'll transmit it to others. That can be a great resource to use when you're, when you're um, putting together communications to clients to reassure them about the impact on, on pets. There was also that um, IDEX report, and I know this is referenced in the AVMA information and probably in others as well, but IDEX did some pretty widespread uh, testing of pets and found no evidence of, of coronavirus in those pets. So um, I think the, the WHO and that IDEX report are great when we're reassuring pet owners about the impact on their pets. And then TVMA, AVMA, CDC, WHO for general information, not just about, um, you know, sanitation and cleaning and the number of case, cases and that kind of stuff, but about um, resources that are are available. I think it's also important too, just to stay abreast of the news because some of this is changing so rapidly. Certainly local mandates are changing so rapidly. Um, cases are popping up um, much more rapidly than they were before, but also the sources and availability of help. I think those are changing rapidly. Um, right now the House of Representative, uh, House of Representatives passed a bill that would extend um, sick time and some other things um, or paid sick time and some other things for employees that's being debated in the Senate. Um, I think we'll see some version of that passed at some point. I think it's an important as an employer to understand what those ramifications are. You know, there's talk about um, free testing for coronavirus um, and 
again, keeping up with what that's going to look like. Um, you know, what is the Tex Texas Workforce Commission going to offer in unemployment for people? Um, so the more that we know about resources that may help our employees or ourselves is helpful as well. Any other closing remarks you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, so two things. I, first of all, I personally think our economy is fundamentally strong. Um, is this going to be challenging? Yes, it's I and again, this is a, a personal opinion, right? No crystal ball here. I personally think we're going to have a recession. I just can't see how we won't because of the dramatic impact of this worldwide. But that's an opinion, right? Um, I, what I don't have a feel for is how bad that recession is going to be. Um, you know, if you look at the Great Recession, the one from 2007 to 2009, that definitely impacted veterinary medicine. Um, in a way that previous recessions had not. I just don't have any idea what to expect here. Um, so I think that we're going to have to deal with that, but I do feel like the economy is fundamentally strong. And I think once we get over the hump of the virus, then the economy is going to recover. I think also there are some, some, brighter spots, if you will, worldwide. Um, China seems to be on, you know, over the hump on the virus. Hong Kong does, Singapore does. Um, so I just have to think that we can get there as well. You know, is it going to be tomorrow? Not remotely. Is it going to be a couple of months? I think that's very possible. Um, but I, I think this, I think the biggest thing here is, is, you know, stay calm, soldiering on, doing as much of your daily activities as you can do. The hard part of that is, is if, if you lose your job or have reduced hours and, and don't have income, that's the tough piece. And that's the piece that I think as business owners, we want to, um, obviously we have to protect ourselves and our families, but we want to do everything we can to protect our employees as well. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that information um happy to participate it's certainly unprecedented times out there yeah that's true well i hope you stay safe and take care of yourself and your thank family you. and your colleagues and uh and you do the same i hope everybody in our profession comes out of this good yes well thank you so much you're welcome nice to talk to you you too we hope you found this episode valuable you can find Dr. Karen Felstead's contact information in the show notes. Please know that TVMA is here for you during this trying, unprecedented time. We will continue to provide updates on our website through eBlast, social media, and other communication outlets. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you need anything. In the meantime, we encourage you to visit the resources Dr. Karen Felstead recommended, AVMA, CDC, WHO, and of course, TVMA. From all of us here at TVMA, stay safe, take care of yourself, your friends, family, colleagues, and the community. Thank you for tuning in to this special edition of Veterinary Vitals. Mm -hmm.